From the stuff your mother never told you to the stuff your doctor never learned, On Health is what happens when a midwife plus a Yale-trained MD shares about all things women's health, from periods to menopause, sex to reproductive health politics, motherhood to mental health. Join me for taboo-busting conversations that demystify and destigmatize our bodies, all while bridging the gap between conventional medicine and wellness. Along the way, we'll be exploring the science and wisdom of how our bodies work, what makes us well, what gets in the way, and how we can live our best lives on our terms. When it comes to women's health and well-being, there's nothing we won't talk about. The new medicine for women is here. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome to the podcast. There's literally been studies where they've tracked who women are attracted to on and off birth control. It's completely different. And then when you get off birth control, you're not even attracted to the dude you're with because what you were looking for when you were on birth control, adjust your hormones so that you're looking for someone who's sweet and kind and I'm going to take care of you like that because your body thinks it's pregnant. So it's just looking for comfort. Then you get off birth control and you're like, what kind of wimp ass man am I married to? Have you heard rumors like the one in this TikTok post that taking the pill can influence your choice of partner only later for you to go off the pill and say, WTF, who did I marry and why? What about whether the pill patch or NuvaRing can cause blood clots? Have you taken the pill and felt depressed and maybe even had a doctor tell you it couldn't possibly be related to the pill? The pill has been on the market for nearly 60 years and has been a hard-won source of tremendous sexual liberation for women. For some women, it also provides seemingly miraculous relief of symptoms for all different kinds of gynecologic concerns. For others, it's a source of sometimes tolerable and other times intolerable side effects. And for a few, but not insignificant number of women, it's been a source of misery. So is the pill and other forms of hormonal contraception and symptom relief friend or foe? What's myth and what's reality? If one were to ask most doctors, many would say, these are all totally safe. Or perhaps there are a few risks, but not too many and not for most women. And any small risks are worth the benefits. If you then asked most doctors how much actual training they got on risks of the pill and how to best prescribe them, Most would have to think pretty hard about that, maybe even squint, to remember that nearly invisible 30-minute discussion they had amongst the possible 100,000 odd facts that they had to learn over seven years or more of medical school and residency. If you look toward the wellness community for answers, on the other hand, you might come away thinking that taking the pill could make you grow three heads, or in the least, might ruin your hormones forever. And if you chat with women who have used the pill or are currently on it, as I've done more times than I can count, you'd get a variety of responses to how the pill made them feel from, it's the best thing I ever did for my acne, to the worst thing I ever did for my mood, to the easiest birth control I've ever used, to it made me feel like hell on wheels. In my recent On Health podcast episode and accompanying article, Did the Pill Ruin My Fertility? I explore the impact the pill has on ovulation and fertility. Today, I dispel some of the most common myths and misconceptions and misinformation about the pill. And I also talk about the real risks of the pill 
that everyone using it or considering it should know. And ditto that if you have a daughter considering it or for whom it's been prescribed. While I focus on the pill, the same considerations and concerns largely apply to other forms of hormonal contraception. When it comes to making any choices about starting or staying on a medication, it's important to understand the global risks and benefits, as well as your own personal risks, based on your history and your family's medical history. Too often, women are prescribed hormonal contraception without being fully counseled on their risks and potential side effects. Like any medications, contraceptives do carry some risks and side effects. Unlike most other medications, however, these are commonly prescribed to otherwise healthy women. So evaluating the risks when a medication is optional becomes all the more urgent. For many women, the costs may be worth the benefit of reliable birth control or symptom relief. But in order for us to make the best decisions, healthcare providers need to be transparent about the risks and the side effects. And side effects are common which is one of the major reasons women aren't very satisfied with the options currently available. Women in the U.S. try an average of three different contraception methods. With trial and error, some women are able to find a method they really like, but many just settle on one they can tolerate. A 2004 study by the Guttmacher Institute found that nearly two-fifths of women in the U.S. said they chose their current method mostly because they didn't like any other available options. As Maya Dusenberry, author of Doing Harm, said in her 2019 Scientific American article, Why Women and Men Need Better Birth Control, what women really want is a highly effective method with few or no side effects. And as researchers explain, that combination does not exist. A 2022 survey done by the Kaiser Family Foundation that included 5,200 women found that almost one-third of contraceptive users said they were experiencing side effects from their current method, and just over half, or 52%, said their side effects were more severe than they expected. Among the most common are mood changes, 48% of women, and weight gain, 47% of women while 80% say they experienced more than one side effect. Just over half, or 54% of women, say they have talked to their healthcare provider about these side effects. But when women do experience side effects from their hormonal contraceptives and report these to their doctor, they're often dismissed, especially if they're reporting a side effect that hasn't been definitively linked to hormonal contraception in major studies. So it's important to take your experience into account and to trust it. Most women who take the pill or use other hormonal contraceptives do so either voluntarily for birth control or are using them for hormonal symptoms. In both cases, alternative options are typically available and may be better choices for you. About a third of teens on the pill in the U.S. are not using it for pregnancy prevention at all. While oral contraceptives can be an appropriate treatment in some cases, too often doctors simply prescribe the pill rather than thoroughly investigating when a young woman comes in with a gynecologic or hormonal concern. And while studies may be equivocal about a particular side effect, if you don't tolerate a medication or if you experience side effects, even if those aren't well-documented for a medication or your care provider dismisses your concerns or symptoms, that medication might not be right for you. 
while in some cases a life-saving medication is needed for a serious disease and the side effects are an unfortunate consequence one has to accept. This is not typically the case with oral contraception. Okay, let's take a look at 10 pill myths and realities, which I'm bringing to you in a two-part series, at the end of which I'm going to also walk you through my thoughts on whether the pill and other hormonal contraceptives are ever okay to use, who should avoid them, and how to make the best decisions for you, for your needs, concerns, preferences, and lifestyle. And if you're wondering about the answer to whether the pill can affect your mate choice, I'll be bringing that to you too. I hope this episode helps to answer questions you may have and provides you with the information you need to make the most informed decisions about whether to start or continue the pill or other hormonal contraceptives, whether for gynecologic symptoms or birth control, or whether you might be someone who should consider coming off of it for medical reasons. And I'm going to give you some tips on how to optimize your well-being if you are going to stay on the pill for any reason. So get comfy and have a listen. Number one, myth or reality, the pill causes blood clots. This is definitively true and is perhaps the most well-known risk of taking the pill. Combined oral contraceptive users are three to five times more likely to have a venous thromboembolism or clot than non-users. And that risk is highest if you're a smoker, overweight, have a clotting disorder, or are older. For a woman with thrombophilia or a history of thrombosis, the risk becomes substantial. However, it can happen to anyone. The risk is important to take into consideration, particularly if you are in a higher risk group. But before you get completely freaked out, keep in mind that the rate of venous thromboembolism in younger women is very low. Among women not on the pill, one to five per 10,000 women have a venous thromboembolism in any given year. That number rises to three to 10 per 10,000, depending on the type of pill for oral contraceptive users. So even with the increased risk, the absolute risk of venous thromboembolism in combined oral contraceptive users is still relatively small. Medical guidelines when it comes to the pill rightly point out that pregnancy itself increases the risk even more to about 5 to 20 per 10,000 during pregnancy and 40 to 65 per 10,000 in the postpartum period. However, here's the thing. Most women don't get pregnant at 15 and stay pregnant until we're 35. And given that the average number of children per family in the U.S. is less than two, most women in the U.S. are pregnant for less than two years total of their lives. In contrast, many women remain on the pill for 10, 15, or more years. Many start the pill in their teens and remain on it for more than a decade. So it's not truly an apples-to-apples comparison. The pill also affects the cardiovascular system in more ways than increasing clotting risk. It increases the risk of other cardiovascular problems, including heart attack and stroke. A 2015 meta-analysis concluded that women using combined oral contraceptives had a 1.6-fold increased risk of a heart attack or myocardial infarction or an ischemic stroke. The risk seemed to be twice as high in women taking pills with higher doses of estrogen. Other studies suggest 
the risk of stroke doubles roughly in people using combined oral contraceptives. The increased risk of stroke on the pill seems to increase with rising age. The data also suggests that this risk is a short-term effect, mostly during the first year after starting an oral contraceptive, and the lifetime stroke risk might not be that different between women who have used oral contraceptives and those who have not. Again, the risk of heart attack and stroke in young women is low to begin with. For women in the United States aged 18 to 44, the baseline prevalence of stroke ranges from 0.6 to 0.7%. Combined oral contraceptives may also cause a mild elevation in blood pressure, though it usually stays within the normal range. It's not only the pill that puts women at these increased risks. The new patches possibly increase the risk slightly more since the amount of estrogen absorbed is higher than is absorbed with the pill. And while there's little information about the risk of blood clots with the birth control ring or Nuva ring, like patches, they also contain estrogen and a progestin and therefore probably pose a similar risk to birth control pills or patches. And there have been reports published in the media, widely spread reports of women, young women who have had blood clots, fatal blood clots and strokes using these methods. My takeaway, if you meet any of the criteria I've mentioned, consider a non-hormonal or at least a non-combined hormone form of contraception. If you are using the pill or hormonal contraception to treat hormonal symptoms rather than for contraception, Explore lower risk options that might be available to you and similarly effective. And stay tuned for my list of risk factors when it comes to using the pill later on in this two-part series. Number two, myth or reality taking the pill causes cancer. Perhaps one of the biggest concerns women have about taking the pill or any hormonal therapies is increased cancer risk, and that's understandable. Many women are vaguely familiar with the history of DES, a synthetic estrogen used to prevent miscarriage, that did cause cancers in not only the women who used it during their pregnancies in the 1950s and 1960s, but in many of their daughters and even some of their sons. And there's been a tremendous amount of concern and confusion over the safety of hormones used for menopause since the abrupt discontinuation of the Women's Health Initiative hormone trials in the early 2000s due to an increased risk of breast cancer in certain groups who took it. While combined oral contraceptives in and of themselves do not increase overall risk of cancer, we've long known that estrogen-containing oral contraceptives do come with a small increased risk of breast cancer. Over the years, meta-analyses have shown that the risk of breast cancer on oral contraception increases anywhere from 8 to 24%. And the longer you're on the pill, the higher the risk. So yeah, that's scary. But what does that increase mean in terms of actual likelihood of developing breast cancer from taking the pill? While this roughly 20% increase sounds like a lot, again, it's important to put risk into context. Since the absolute risk of breast cancer is small to begin with, especially for younger women, 20% of a small number is still a small number. 
It translates to one additional case of breast cancer for every 7,690 women using oral contraception for one year. And for women younger than 35, it's one case for every 50,000 women. Until recently, we haven't had much data on whether progestin-only contraceptives have the same breast cancer risk. But just this spring, a new UK study found a similar elevated risk associated with the progestin-only pill, the implant, the Depo-Provera injection, and the hormonal IUD. They concluded that with current or recent use of any kind of hormonal contraception, there is a 20 to 30% increased risk of breast cancer, which gradually goes to baseline by 10 years after stopping the method. Again, it's still a small number being increased, so it's still relatively small, but there's not no risk. And of course, for each of the women who develop breast cancer, that's a devastating adverse effect. But again, the risk is extremely low. And here's something that's not as widely discussed. Oral contraceptives are also associated with a reduced risk of other cancers. According to a large 2021 UK study, women who had used oral contraceptives had a 30% reduced risk for both ovarian and endometrial cancer compared to those who had never used it. For women using birth control pills for 20 years or more, there was a 40% reduced risk of ovarian cancer and a 60% reduced risk of endometrial cancer. Another alarm was sounded about the pill and cancer when a 2018 study published in The Lancet Oncology suggested that a woman's use of the pill close to the time of becoming pregnant could increase her child's later risk of developing leukemia especially the non-lymphoid types. The researchers followed a Danish nationwide group of nearly 1,200,000 children born between 1996 and 2011 for an average of 9.3 years, correlating any cases of leukemia listed with the Danish cancer registry and hormone prescriptions from the National Prescription Registry. Compared to the rates of children of women who had never used contraception, the leukemia risk was 25% higher in children born to women who had stopped using hormonal contraception more than three months before becoming pregnant. It was 46% higher when the women had used it within three months of conception, and it was 70% higher when the women used it during pregnancy, not knowing they were pregnant before they discontinued. The increased risk was associated mainly with using the estrogen-containing oral contraceptive. They found no effect from progestin-only products. This is certainly scary data, especially because so many women discontinued the pill in order to get pregnant soon after. It was, however, just one population-based study. More studies are needed to determine whether there's cause and effect, and the authors of the study themselves acknowledge that since leukemia is very rare, the small increased risk is not a major safety concern for hormonal contraceptives. Now, of course, all of us want to do our best to avoid anything that even might contribute to cancer in one of our offspring. So, you know, this is why I'm mentioning it. And you may have heard about this, so I want you to just hear my take on it. The researchers also found that the increased risk among women who previously used hormonal contraception decreased and became non-significant with exposure more than six months prior to conception. 
So is it prudent to discontinue pill use, especially if you're on an estrogen-containing pill, which is where the risk has been found, six months or more prior to trying to conceive until we know more? Perhaps. And I certainly wouldn't recommend against that. In my practice, when I'm working with women who are trying to get healthy prior to conception, I do recommend a six-month window of really avoiding things that may be potential environmental toxins that are possible to avoid. And certainly when I'm working with women who have had trouble conceiving, I really work with that six-month window. So perhaps it is worth it. However, to date, there are no medical precautions against using it even close to conception. If you had been on the pill and conceived with one of the windows that I've described from this study, I really want to reiterate that childhood leukemia is very rare and a causal relationship is not certain. So please try not to worry. Again, I'm including this because it's important to note more research is needed and I wanted to address this in case you'd read about it anywhere else as a risk of being on the pill. Number three, myth or reality, the pill causes depression. With one in four women already struggling with depression, and as many as one in four on an antidepressant, even before the COVID pandemic threw us all into an emotional roller coaster and increased rates of depression, it makes sense that we'd be wary of anything that might cause or increase depression. Plus, women are twice as likely to suffer from depression as men, partly due to hormonal causes. So who wants to add to that? Which begs the question, what's the story with hormonal contraception and depression? Should you avoid it if you already struggle with depression or you have in the past? Should you be concerned even if you haven't? These are legitimate concerns. In a 2023 study, which included 188 women, nearly half reported experiencing mood changes as a side effect of hormonal contraception at some point in their lives. The rate was worse for women who'd previously experienced mental health symptoms, 61.2%, compared to participants with no history of psychiatric illness. But even in that group, there was still a substantial increase to 29.5% of new onset of mood changes. And we all know women who have been on the pill and have said, ugh, being on the pill made me feel horrible. And yet, shockingly, over 80% of the women in the study said that their medical provider never mentioned the possibility of psychological side effects when discussing hormonal contraception options. And as a women's physician, I've had numerous women come to me for care in part because they were having symptoms and their prior medical care provider dismissed the association. Clearly, there's a major disconnect in what women are experiencing, what studies are showing, and what physicians are communicating. Part of the disconnect is because studies that have investigated whether oral contraception is linked to an increased risk of depression have yielded mixed results, with some studies reporting no or even protective mood effects of oral contraception. But in recent years, several studies have provided substantial evidence that oral contraception significantly increases the risk of depression, especially among teens. These confirm what so many women know, that at least for some women and teens, the pill can cast a really dark cloud over our moods. The most headline-grabbing study was a Danish study from 2016 published in the Journal of the American Medical Association Psychiatry that followed 1 million women over several years. The largest study on this to date 
It included all the women living in that country and concluded that hormonal contraception was associated with subsequent antidepressant use and a first diagnosis of depression. Taking combined oral contraceptives increased the risk of taking antidepressants by 23% in women in general. Teens were particularly vulnerable. For 15 to 19-year-olds, using combined oral contraceptives, the risk of needing to take an antidepressant following that jumped by 80%. The increased risks were even higher for progestin-only pills. Teens taking these were over twice as likely to take antidepressants after starting the progestin-only pill. There were increased risks with other methods as well. With the patch, antidepressant use doubled, while risk increased by 60% for vaginal rings and 40% for hormonal IUDs. In a follow-up study a couple of years later, the same research team found increased rates of suicide and attempted suicide among young women who currently or recently use hormonal contraception compared to those who never had. And again, the results for progestin-only pills and other methods were even worse, and teens were most affected. Most of the research looking at the link between oral contraception and depression thus far has focused on the short-term effects. But in 2020, researchers from the University of British Columbia published a study investigating whether women who had first used oral contraception in adolescence showed an increased risk of depression later in life. They were concerned by animal studies showing that exposure to sex hormones during critical developmental periods like puberty and adolescence can cause long-lasting changes in the brain and behavior. Using data on over a 1,000 women in the U.S., they found that women who had used oral contraceptives during adolescence were more likely to have had depression within the past year compared to both women who had never used oral contraceptives and women who had only started using an oral contraceptive in adulthood. While it was only an observational study, they controlled for a large number of potential contributing factors that had been previously pointed to to explain the link between hormonal contraception and depression. In 2022, they published a follow-up study in the Journal of Child Psychology and Psychiatry that was the first to look at the long-term associations of oral contraceptive use during adolescence with depression in adulthood in a large prospective study, meaning they followed women over time. Again, they found that women who had used oral contraceptives during adolescence from ages 16 to 19 years old had a small but robust increased risk of having an episode of major depressive disorder during early adulthood, ages 20 to 25 a finding that was most pronounced in women who had not suffered from depression before or during adolescence. And I just kind of want to pause here and let this all settle because there is an increased risk of depression when we start taking the pill at any time in our lives or other forms of hormonal contraception, the patch, injection, ring, etc. And I really want to take a moment and acknowledge how many of you have struggled with depression in your lives or continue to and have been on the pill. And I don't want to just minimize anyone's depression and say, oh, could it have been just because you were on the pill? But I also want to take a minute and have you acknowledge an aha moment because so many of us blame ourselves for the moods that we experience, for the depression that we feel. And it's really important to recognize that this may have happened completely beyond your control and be chemically mediated by a medication 
that you were put on when you were a teen or started taking as an adult with no one warning you of the potential side effects or minimizing those effects. So just sit with that as a moment of self-reflection. Could your mood challenges that you've faced in your life be caused by or have the pill been contributing or other hormonal contraception been contributing to? And is it a factor for you now? That's worth considering if you're still on hormonal contraception. As we go through these two episodes, I'm going to also talk about things that you can do to support yourself and help reverse some of these changes, some of which may be nutritionally mediated. And in my book, Hormone Intelligence, and in other podcasts and blogs over at my website, I talk about how to heal if you've been on the pill and are experiencing adverse effects from that. There are various theories for why hormonal contraception during the teen years may have long-term effects. For one thing, important regions of the brain that are involved in emotional regulation, such as the amygdala, prefrontal cortex, and hippocampus, are still maturing during adolescence and may be sensitive to sex hormones during this period. Hormonal contraception may also alter the hypothalamic-pituitary-adrenal axis and the cortisol stress response. For example, one study found that in contrast to naturally cycling adolescents, oral contraceptive users showed no cortisol reactivity in response to stress. We're supposed to have a cortisol response to stress. That's how we buffer the stress response. Another found that adults who had continuously used combined hormonal contraceptives since puberty also showed blunted stress response to a similar social stress test compared to those who had previously used oral contraceptives only since adulthood. These researchers are now testing some of these theories in an ongoing study that is following a group of adolescent girls over the span of three years, giving them various tests to assess their emotional health and cortisol levels starting when they are between 13 and 15 years of age, and then again approximately 18 and 36 months later. So I want to just have another moment of reflection here. You know, there's so much going on on Instagram about stress and trauma and cortisol. I dedicated a whole book to it, The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution. It's a real thing that I see in my medical practice. And again, We're doing so much to reduce our stress response, our meditation, our time in nature, our self-care, our better bedtimes, all the things. But can the shift in our stress response not just be associated with adverse childhood experiences or trauma? Can using the pill have contributed to that or other hormonal forms of contraception have contributed to that for you? And if you're still on them, are they possibly still contributing? So why have different studies come to such different conclusions about whether the pill affects depression or not, when clearly there's so much evidence that it really does? Some researchers say the inconsistency could be explained by what's called the healthy user bias. Since women who do experience mood effects on hormonal contraception often discontinue the method, they aren't as likely to be part of these studies. While women who don't experience mood effects will be overrepresented in the studies, which means that studies tend to underestimate the negative mood effects 
of being on hormonal contraception. A new large study of over a quarter a million women in the UK, which tried to correct for this bias, was just published. It concluded that compared to women who had never taken combined oral contraception, women had a 79% higher risk of depression in the first two years after starting the pill. This was true for both adults and for teens. But like prior studies have found, teens were more affected. Women who began using oral contraception before or at the age of 20 had a 130% higher rate of depressive symptoms. And women who had used oral contraceptives during adolescence, but not adult oral contraceptive users, remained at slightly increased risk for depression even after they discontinued. Another strength of this study compared to other observational studies is that they did an analysis of sibling pairs. So they matched up sisters, which allowed them to say with more confidence that there seemed to be a cause and effect relationship between oral contraception and depression. So let's say your sister didn't use the pill and you did and you have depression and she didn't. That explains partly the pill as a contributing factor. While I've focused a lot on the risks of depression and mood changes, for so many women, it should also be noted that many women experience no mood effects at all. And for some women, the pill seems to have a mood stabilizing effect. Perhaps the steady controlled hormone state on the pill is less of a roller coaster for some women than their normal cyclic fluctuations or other symptoms, whether acne, irregular periods, or heavy bleeding are more controlled. And that may provide some level of freedom from the depression that women experience commonly related to experiencing these symptoms. So what's the takeaway? Perhaps the most profound one is to realize that if you do experience mood changes or outright depression after you start taking the pill, or at any time you're on it, it's not in your head. The pill or other forms of hormonal contraception should be considered a possible cause that your medical provider should not dismiss as unrelated, which happens all too often. If you have experienced depression in the past, maybe this is not the most appropriate form of either contraception for you or symptom relief if you're struggling with gynecologic symptoms. So you want to find a provider who can support you in other methods of contraception and or other methods of symptom relief for the conditions you're experiencing. If you're using hormonal contraception of any form for medical reasons and it's helping you, or it's your preferred method of birth control, but you're experiencing depression, discuss other doses and forms with your medical provider. Just lowering the dose, for example, or changing the formulation. For example, maybe for you, it is the combined oral contraceptive, the estrogen progestin that's the problem and going to progestin only for you maybe will help. It's also not uncommon to start taking an antidepressant to enable to continue you using the hormonal contraceptive if that's what you need or want to do. However, for non-essential, non-life-saving medications, which this is, I generally think it's preferable not to add medications like an antidepressant for side effects onto medications causing the side effect, and rather to explore other medical or even preferably non-pharmaceutical options whenever possible. If you're on the pill or other hormonal contraception and you're experiencing mood changes, 
I also think it's worthwhile to get labs to check your nutrient status for ongoing nutrient depletions that I'm going to talk about that may be caused by the pill and consider supplementing for those vitamins and minerals that are often depleted by the pill. And again, more on this to come later in the episode. And it's important to consider whether, and this has really not been adequately explored, it's actually the fact that the pill causes the depletions of certain nutrients, for example, B vitamins and zinc, that when we're low in cause depression, that possibly explains some of the mood changes that are associated with taking the pill and other forms of hormonal contraception. Number four, myth or reality, the pill changes your brain. In addition to its effects on mood, there have been some concerns about and emerging research into how hormonal contraception impacts the brain when it comes to cognition. Some brain imaging studies have suggested that compared to naturally cycling women, women using hormonal contraceptives may have changes in the brain structure and function in areas that are important for executive function and the cognitive control of behavior. And there's some evidence that these changes could be connected to actual changes in behavior. One 2017 randomized control study found women using hormonal contraceptives reported having lower self-control in addition to lower well-being and vitality compared to the placebo group. But studies looking at whether women on hormonal contraception perform any worse on particular cognitive tasks have been very mixed. A 2014 review of 22 studies on the impact of oral contraceptives on cognition concluded that the quality of evidence is poor. Most studies haven't been well-designed and have included just a couple of dozen subjects. The most consistent finding, according to the review, was that women on oral contraceptives actually have improved verbal memory. In most other areas, the results have been inconsistent. For example, a few studies have found improvement in attention, concentration, and working memory with oral contraceptive use, while a handful of others demonstrated impairment. A more recent review published this year summarized the findings from 50 studies. Again, overall, the results were often contradictory, but they concluded that our overall findings suggest that oral contraceptives may improve cognitive performance within the domains of verbal memory and visual spatial abilities, as well as possibly decrease performance in relation to mental arithmetic accuracy and emotional recognition. It's certainly plausible that hormonal contraception affects cognition since we know that sex hormones impact the brain. And we also know from studies on teens that there do seem to be changes in areas of our brain that regulate our emotion. Additionally, we also know that cortisol is important in our cognitive functioning and depression can really affect our memory, cognition, verbal skills, so many areas of our well-being, mathematical calculations, and so many other things. So more high-quality research in this area is definitely needed. But at this point, there's no evidence of major detrimental effect. But as with all of these side effects, if you feel mentally sharper, or you feel that you have better control when you're not on the pill, pay attention to that, explore, and trust your experience and observations. Okay, so far in this two-part episode, looking at 10 pill myths and realities you should really know, we have talked about four. We've talked about blood clots, and the answer is yes, there is an increased risk 
but we know that it's a small increased risk from non-users to users, but that that risk goes up substantially if you're a smoker, if you struggle with being overweight, if you're older, if you have clotting risks and other factors. We talked about myth or reality, taking the pill causes cancer. And we know that there is some small increased risk of both combined oral contraceptives as well as progestin-only pills in breast cancer increase, but that there may be some protection or there is some protection that's known from endometrial cancer and ovarian cancer. We talked about whether the pill causes depression, and it seems unequivocal that for a substantial subset of women starting the pill, and especially in that first one to two years, and especially for teens, does increase immediate risk of depression and the risk of needing to start an antidepressant if you stay on the pill. And also, there may be some long-term consequences of depression if we've been on the pill at any time, but particularly when we were in our teens when we started. So something to really consider. We also know that the pill may affect our cortisol and stress response as well. And finally, we've talked about whether the pill changes our brain. And there seems to be a lot that we still need to know in this area, but that we do know that depression can have a major impact on our brain function, as can our cortisol levels, and that there are some studies that show that there are some possible brain changes, but some pluses and minuses, right? Like improved visual, spatial, and improved verbal memory decreases in other areas, but nothing definitive yet on that. It's a really big and loaded topic. And I just want to reiterate a couple of things before we take a break and then come back for part two next week, which is going to be also really juicy and exciting. I want to remind us that we're very rarely on the pill as an emergency or life-saving medication. So if you are experiencing side effects, are there ways that you can work with your care provider to mitigate those side effects? For example, a different dose, a different combination, not using a combination, just using a progestin only. And if you are experiencing substantial side effects or at risks, maybe the pill and other forms of hormonal contraception are not for you. One of the things that's really important to know is that most medical doctors who are prescribing the pill, and this may be the case for nurse practitioners, nurse midwives, et cetera, who are prescribing as well, as well as other hormonal contraceptives, whether for birth control or for symptom relief, whether you have a hormonal condition or gynecologic condition, are not doing an adequate job of screening women for individual risk factors. They're not taking weight, age, cardiovascular risk, clotting risk, migraine with aura risk, and a number of other factors that I'm going to talk about in part two that increase our risk. So we shouldn't have to be, but we do have to be the ones to be proactive and really sit with your provider and say, look, I'm interested in doing this, or I'm planning to do this, or I feel like I need to do this for either birth control or symptom control. But I really want to make sure that we're going through every one of my personal risks, my family history, and the risks associated so I can make an informed decision. The other thing that's really important to remember is that medical gaslighting is an incredibly real, documented, statistically measurable, known phenomenon. And it affects women more than men. It shows up in medical settings, whether your provider is a female or a male, the more likely to be if your provider is a male. And it is very common when we're reporting side effects or symptoms or adverse events that are happening to us when we start a medication. This is a known phenomenon. So if you're experiencing something, don't just let somebody tell you you're not experiencing it or justify it to you and suggest, don't worry, keep going. 
really trust yourself on that. And if you're experiencing side effects that you feel like are too much to handle or that are concerning medical side effects, think about discontinuing this. There are other methods of contraception that are non-hormonal that are very effective. There are other ways of treating gynecologic symptoms and conditions, other medications that aren't hormonal, other natural approaches and integrative approaches that you can take. So I'm going to talk more about that in part two. Stay tuned for the next episode where I'm going to talk about the pill and autoimmune disease, the pill and nutrient depletions, the pill and bone growth, maybe not the sexiest thing you've never considered, but I'm going to tell you why it's important to know about it, the pill and weight gain and blood sugar problems, the pill and sex drive, and the piece de resistance that got so much clickbait, the pill and mate selection and attraction. So see you next time for part two. I hope you enjoyed this episode, that it helped you to feel seen and heard, and perhaps that it even brought you some aha moments. Please share the love by sharing this with a friend or someone in your life who could benefit from the kinds of things we talk about in this space. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at dr.avivaram and go to avivaram.com to join the conversation about the show on my blog. While you're there, you can sign up for my free newsletter with tips on taking back your health. Be sure to leave a rating and a review for the podcast and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every week. Can't wait to see you next time. <laughs>